unofficial voice of the marvelous Marvel film and television community. My name is Matt, and joining me once again is the man who says hubba-bubba to the siren of the Strategic Scientific Reserve. It's Pete. What's buzzing, cousin? Howdy, cowboy. Aw, I seen bigger. The Agent Carter radio program for episode 205, The Atomic Job, is brought to you by... Woodco Woodies, bringing you fine woodies and other goodies since 1916. Maybe even one of those television sets. News of the hour! In this segment, we run down the top stories of the episode and give you the latest and the greatest need to know. Pete, where do we start? New Hampshire, Matt. Well, at least on the East Coast feed, uh, unless, of course, you're watching this on the rest of the country or the world. But just so you know, doomsday is coming. But back to you, Pete, and back to Agent Carter after our brief three-minute election-delayed start to the episode. We begin in Peggy's bedroom, all sorts of uh, female uh, grooming doodads visible to the camera and then suddenly she's drawing a gun right through dr jason wilkes a bit of a creepy uh, opening there had to notice uh, the the quickly iconic red plastic sunglasses uh, also in there um one does wonder uh, including our pal mike Sorensen. one does wonder what uh what what wilkes does all the time when he's not helping with exposition <laughs> but he's here for exposition he calls her downstairs and shows her pete some residual black matter in jane scott's uh, tissue sample can we at least point out the great um howard stark painting on the wall there uh, pete we certainly can i didn't think it was particularly noteworthy i know i have a big portrait of myself in my guest bedroom i just assume that's that's what one does but the upshot here being that the tissue from jane scott's autopsy is uh drawn to jason wilkes and vice versa um suddenly he absorbs it and he solidifies Pete, that might be a way out in the next, I don't know, five episodes for them to not kill off Wilkes. Well, I mean, for how many episodes where we were super sure we'd never see him again, you know, that that's saying something. But uh, as a result of this, uh, the Zero Matter has given him the knowledge of Jane Scott's body, where it is, the location. Um, Jarvis is then involved here. Uh, they have an address. Peggy checks in with Rose. This is the county cold storage, uh, place. Um, does Howard have a hearse, Matt? No, Pete, but he has a Woody. And does he have a wooden, uh, car, a wooden, uh, sedan? Uh, he does have a wood paneled sedan known as the Woody. You could say, Pete. Howard has a Woody, though absent in this episode. Howard's Woody is prominent, prominently shown. And felt. 
and felt and 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 used by that i meant it was lined with felt you know no uh yeah so smooth pete so smooth just as the story smoothly moves i first thought pete to Sousa's home had to remind myself that it is of course not Sousa's home but rather violet's home she's come home sees that dinner has been made and Pete, I said to myself as he was asleep on the couch, since the show, uh, shall we say, liberally adds exposition as needed, this would be a great time for him to say her name, to remind us her <laughs> name, and um, they didn't. Uh, it was later in the episode I said, ah, yes, Violet. It had been a while. You know, she is in my notes here initially as Susa Nurse. <sighs> Pete. I'll thank you not to presume that she's Sousa's nurse. It's 1947. She's her own, uh, her own person. And um, there's a reason, Pete, that I mention that because the, he does not live here. It's 1947. There's no cohabitation. What do you think she is? One of those, you know, ladies down by the streets? She's a proper lady. And, not um, like Whitney's mom. Oof. Not like Whitney's mom, who, let's just say Pete was a stay-at-home mom and had to lie down from time to time for money for lay-down times with men. <laughs> but, uh, Pete, I might have just stumbled with that, but I'm not like Sousa, who stumbled his proposal, because, aw. Can't find the ring in the couch. <laughs> he can't. Also not a metaphor, but Pete, it's a, I guess it is, no, it's not a metaphor, sorry. Um, jokes aside, it ends up kind of being a bare yet human and very lovely proposal, complete with a yes. Ah, the happy couple. I'm buying it. I think that we could probably prognosticate that awful things will happen, but it's 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 a really kind of earned moment here. Yeah, that he met her... Um through his uh his physical therapy that uh you know in addition to calling her wonderful she's cruel and uncompromising and lovely um but that he can't find the ring in the couch matt has to be the worst kind of omen uh so they're gonna find it together so yes yeah she'll she'll uh she'll marry him and uh, maybe they'll find a quarter on top of finding the ring one day a whole quarter pete this is a relationship that already is just is just uh coming up uh coming up greenbacks almost it's like being 1947 rich 1947 rich that's the new hashtag kids or that's the new number sign children so pete we go from the happy couple on to the decidedly unhappy couple <laughs> do you get it pete it's contrast yes cal is sitting up in uh, bed here while whitney is asleep yet talking uh chadwick winds up heading into his closet there and suddenly uh his wife is there she needs his help and pete let's just take a minute here in this scene and in so many scenes to note the fantastic costume work from Giovanna Melton, the uh, the costume designer for the show, uh, whether it's the particular particularly fetching nighty that uh, catches the eye here, or or all the costumes, it really is just a fantastic job uh, done by her. It is, and as we segue from that to uh, Peggy being boosted by Jarvis at the county cold storage facility. Um, they are trying to get in there. It's a race against time, Matt. We also see that uh, Whitney 
and uh, Calvin Chadwick have similarly been summoned by the body. Pete, you can tell it's a cold storage place because all cold storage places have double-wide air conditioning ducts suitable for crawling side-by-side uh, side and giving characterizational nuance about Jarvis's fear of spiders, man. Yeah, the flashback there to uh, Grandmommy's apricot preserves, cold, cramped, and crawling with spiders. Pete, you can only call a home run a home run when it happens, and the the increased comedy given to Jarvis is something that we've talked about each week this season, and it continues to be a narrative dinger hit over the fence because they just turned up that Jarvis, you know, I, I don't know, another another 25%, and it just sizzles. They overhear Whitney and Calvin uh, head into the room there with uh, Jane Scott's corpse. We see the uh, the black veins uh, throughout the body. Whitney absorbs them, and suddenly, Matt, she has black doll eyes that we last saw on Supergirl with uh, Bizarro Supergirl, and she needs an atomic bomb. Me no am distinguished competition. Um, like that the black eyes, by the way, disappear with a quick, um, a quick blink of the eye, almost certainly a computer generated effect, but it's a nice, uh, it's a nice quick transition there. And, uh, as you mentioned, Pete, that declaration for needing a nuclear bomb, taking us to the act break. Pete, after the commercial break, which lasted about three and a half minutes, I was unclear what was going on. So I'm so glad that we returned to Wilkes explaining what's going on. Uh, Whitney wants the zero matter and needs an atomic bomb to replicate the previous sourcing of black matter because scientists. Yes, her attempt to reopen this rift here, which he, of course, asserts they cannot let her do. Uh, the bombs used in the isodine test were made, Matt, by the Roxon Corporation. And there's some quick, snappy uh, Stark Corporation uh, corporate espionage afoot here that uh, Peggy sniffs out. Uh, indeed there is. And there was a, a slightly weird moment in the writing where um, they, they're kind of throwing, they throw around the phrase corporate espionage uh, as though what, what uh, Stark and company have been doing is somehow not corporate espionage. That's literally what it is. Uh, but anyhow, luckily we have Jarvis to further exposition about how all of that is going to go. And Pete, the point being that they really, really, really need the elevator key. They do. And uh, Matt, I wonder how on earth they will get that key there. Well, the story might not be completely sure at the moment because it moves to Whitney and uh, and Calvin, who coincidentally, Pete, want the exact same thing to get into the rocks on secret base with the nuclear bombs i know it's insane isn't it pete the story then moves to SSRHQLA, where peggy kind of blithely congratulates the engaged susa um and they quickly note that peggy is still taking vacation days saying to us at home don't worry she's been called back to new york but isn't going back to new york yet which pete i think is a secret way to keep jack thompson in the story but out of the story, which I think is an improvement over last season because Chad Michael Murray, thumbs up. Jack Thompson, better not in the show. Too many Chiefs, Matt. Indeed, not enough 
anyhow, the tech guy uh, is they move to the tech guy Pete, who has a name, who's Dr. not Labby. Samberly, Doctor Aloysius Samberly. Indeed, I'll have to do a quick find and replace my notes to change Labby and Labrat <laughs> and Doctor Guy and Q wannabe uh, to Doctor Aloysius Samberly. And Pete, he has a memory thing. Yes, and he likes pie. He does like pie in what I think, Pete, we could uh, generously and accurately call an extended metaphor in the nine o'clock hour. They talk about pie and Rose's pie, and I think it's time to move on, guy. Sorry, Pete, I somehow forgot what we were just talking about. So uh, Peggy blithely congratulates Susa, and then they go see somebody. Well, Matt, let's just come back for a second. I used my uh, memory inhibitor on you there. Sorry, still getting it down. Um, what do you think of the fact that Peggy has a device now that uh, can wipe away your memory for two minutes when her boss in World War II was Tommy Lee Jones? Pete, I think that this is clearly a prequel to the Men in Black versus Avengers versus Ant-Man versus um, Guardians of the Galaxy movie that's going to come out July 4th, 2030. And they're laying track for that now. Well, let's not forget that uh, Mike Coulter, Luke Cage, plays... Um, uh, Will Smith's character's uh, dad. So, you know, we're going to have to be careful how we work around that. Pete is Agent J. Um, the, is he related to Luke Cage in, in the, the overall story? Yes. Excellent. Um, so, Pete, I hope people don't think that our narrative has hit a wall because I know the tech guy memory eraser bit also has a guy hitting a wall and then the story continues to peggy breaking into roxon in a red-headed wig pete what's your name darling wow that uh escalated quickly uh there's of course the great recurring gag where hugh jones has his memory erased great rip-roaring score there um along with that uh that extra dash uh at the end of uh belt buckle goodness what was the uh, the line there? You're doing this for your country. You're doing this for your country. <laughs> yeah, you're doing it to save the world. Yeah. Um, but love that, and, and we got it in the previously segment, you know, what's your name, darling agent, hearkening back to season one, you know, talk about a long-running gag with a, Matt, a, a two-season spread gag. It's it, it's wonderful to see the actor return, um, and frankly, the notion that he's willing to play the memory er erasure with such broad comedy and kind of the cross eyes and the slightly droopy tongue and all that, it's it's amazing how much better the show is with some of that uh, zany madcap uh, comedy mixed in. Yeah, and getting the belt buckle off here, uh, the secretary having left for lunch, repeatedly, uh, you know, buzzing him. And by the time he saunters out of his uh, office, the secretary asks if he had a nice lunch, 
with his belt buckle removed there, his pants hanging down. Well, he must have. Pete, I'm just going to throw out a theory, which I in no way have researched. Um, so if I'm wrong, there you go. I'm going to bet that the woman playing the secretary is Haley Atwell's photo double on the show. Similar height, similar similar height, let's just say. And I just wonder if it was a case of, hey, throw her in front of the camera, give her, give her some lines, that kind of thing. Just throw it out there as a theory as we head to the act break. Pete, the story moves on, and it's time to party down. It's Mr. Man Freddy, the guy from that thing, and he's eating at an Italian eatery. You know how it's Italian? The accordion music. Yes, and Joseph Manfredi here, he uh, has Calvin Chadwick and Whitney Frost waiting to see him. Um, that uh, he knows them. They go back here, and uh, he suddenly starts in with the tough guy routine, telling uh, Calvin, you know what I do to men who steal from me. And uh, joking aside... He references the wedding gift, the bone china. Nothing says classy, Matt, like bone china. He sent them. And uh, she explains that her husband is running for Senate. He knows that uh, he will win because of the crowd he runs with. And uh, when he is elected, there's the highway system money that will be thrown around as a result of this. But uh, Whitney and her husband need men. Uh, Joseph wants to know if they need how many guns they need, by the way, which they don't. Um, but Manfredi talks about wanting to keep his name out of the papers and that perhaps uh, Calvin and his counsel might be of assistance with that. It's then, Matt, that this scene takes a massive left turn. Yes, Pete, I think uh, the show deciding that bad guy must show badness in order to establish badness. Uh, Manfredi beats a goon who is ogling Whitney. Um, and Pete, it makes the purpose of this scene to make, uh, of this scene rather to make it clear to us that Manfredi is a bad plate of spaghetti. Yeah, and uh, as he's beating him senseless, perhaps dead, he's uh, explaining this is not how, that's not how you treat a woman in a really unnecessary display because um, it doesn't come back in this episode, Matt. Uh, I agree it does not come back in this episode. Um, I Pete, you know I try and run as, as, uh, as spoiler pure as Violet the Nurse is. Um, homey time pure uh <laughs> however i think we're gonna see more of mr man freddy in the next five episodes uh so if they're just if, if they're setting stuff up for future storytelling that's okay with me pete it's the future you can do such things the end result is they have a deal struck with uh whitney and her husband and uh then we come back to Sousa, Jarvis, and Peggy practicing for their run here to steal the atomic bomb before Whitney and her husband and her goons now in tow can. The love of exposition takes this story to a place where Jarvis is now going to pre-explain the attack on the Roxxon place. Peggy asks questions that makes this pre-explanation even clearer. It's basically the sinking video at the beginning of Titanic, but they're talking about how to uh, defuse difficult bombs. 
And who better, Matt, to bring in to defuse this bomb than Rose? Rose, a a wonderful uh, keep from season one. So great to see her here. And uh, she's ready to help out, especially with those fisticuffs, Pete. Yes, uh, actress Leslie Boone here does a phenomenal job in the time she is on screen, whether it's the physical acting through the window there with a uh, accordion player or whether it's the hubba hubba lines that she's given a little later on. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, she's funny. She's tough. She's sassy. It's uh, it's fantastic. And she goes to the lab where Rose says to Dr. Samberly that uh, he really must have enjoyed her pie. <clears throat> and he has nice equipment. <clears throat> uh, Pete, let's move on. We've entered blushing exterior. I, if, Pete, this is, this is some saucy stuff for 1947. Uh, luckily, we quickly go outside. There's a great slow mo of our of our wonderful team: a man with a cane, a secretary, a lab rat, a foppish Englishman, and Peggy leading the way. What a way to break an act! It is, and I love that they break it with, or at least they break the mood with uh, Jarvis needing to run off to go get the car. Pete, after the act break. United we stand, divided we fall. It's time for a Civil War antique car, or civil, which is not to say a car that is antique from the Civil War, because that would be ridiculous, but rather a car purportedly selling Civil War antiques. I'm not sure about all of that, but uh, wasn't it the uh, the same wood paneled sedan as earlier? Um. I don't think so. I don't think it was a Woody, Pete. I think I know what one looks like. But regardless, whatever it is that they're driving around in, uh, it fakes a breakdown with uh, Rose and Labby, a.k.a. Dr. Samberly, playing. It's rather, it's rather like Hamlet. It's, it's a story within a story. Here, the actors play Rose and Dr. Samberly playing the role of hubby and wife. Like the duality here, you've got uh, Sousa and Jarvis saying this is going to go poorly while Peggy believes in their plan, solid plan, that they're not going to die. They're going to be fine. Meanwhile, you've got uh, Rose and Samberly trying to uh, talk these guards who once they uh, shock them and subdue them, they notice that uh, the shoes don't quite match the leather there i guess we're to assume that these were the uh mr manfredi's uh tufts ah i had taken it at face value that this must be the place because uh they're well-paid security guards because it's the secret rocks on place but i like your answer better pete well i mean they're they're wearing rich corinthian leather matt <laughs> um Regardless, Pete, of what the what the surface street guards or, or, or who they might swear allegiance to, our gang gets into the elevator, quick elevator ride. Uh, a guard has been knocked out, which is immediately proof that Whitney is already there. Yeah, this is a part of the story where we're moving so quickly that the exposition is is not even necessary that they go from there trying to uh, open the doors here. They find the panel with all of uh, 
the little red then turning green buttons, double thick walls. Uh, Whitney is then asking, where are her bombs? It's interesting that, uh, as Peggy later notes, not only has the zero matter altered her physiology, it seems to have also altered her moods. In what appears to be a small series of corridors, the game's afoot, uh, a little bit of discontinuity, I suspect, from the utility closet uh, map, which shows kind of one scale of corridors and then all the all the, 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 the games play through opening and closing doors, but eh, it's all good. Uh, it is here where Rose finds an older baddie and proceeds to just beat the stuffing out of him, along with making a... Uh, knife length joke yeah and after we've done that it happens so quick matt it was really kind of hard to uh rationalize other than the fact needing to separate them but jarvis winds up in the room with the bomb susa's on the outside the door is now stuck and uh peggy needs a fire extinguisher as we go into an act break it really reaches a state in this scene and the next scene where it's 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 zany madcap action comedy, or even with with the comedy fade, fading away and just kind of zany screwball madcap action. I buy it in the way that it's presented, and perhaps it's because we got all of the, you know, bogged down talky stuff earlier. Um, but I just I, I would have appreciated knowing at the time, all right, he's separate from them on the other side because this has happened. You know, maybe that's where Samberly might have been used just a little bit better. Indeed, indeed. But uh, one thing that that is used well is once again, Jarvis's sense of comedy. He's jumping over fallen screws. Rose is telling Samberly Pete that he can do it. All you need is that can-do attitude when trying to save the day. Yes. Uh, how's that door coming? How about not blowing us up? How's that coming? Definitely a nice line there. Uh, meanwhile, Jarvis gets the one nuclear rod out of the bomb thing and into the case. Uh, and um, there's, of course, the, the kind of great, great moment there. Good. Now there's a second one and the shock look on his face. You might be wondering where Peggy is, so quick cut to Peggy, who's kicking butt, and going after Whitney. Whitney, who she overhears, is fighting with Cal. Pete, it's almost like Cal is is being uh, overturned by a, by a, a new modern gender dynamic that he's just not quite ready for. <laughs> but at the same time, as the physicality of this scene escalates, uh, Whitney saying she's never felt more powerful uh, Peggy tries to hit her um, that she thought it would hurt more. Interesting. Indeed, I think uh, this Pete, an episode definitely planting story seeds for, for future use. Um, a little bit addressed uh, in this episode, Pete. But uh, with that, we go back to Jarvis, who has just gotten the second core out. And then back to Peggy confronting Whitney, and it's just all the, the pace is increasing, increasing. And Pete, wouldn't you know it, the door opens for Jarvis just as soon as he's done doing the nuclear core extraction. That was nothing like making a supply. 
Are we sure, Pete? Are we sure? Uh, but one thing that we can be sure of is the Peggy Whitney fight, which uh, I would have liked to have gone on a bit more, uh, results in Peggy impaled in what my notes say, non-vital waste area, which ends up being oddly ironic since that's all but the diagnosis a scene later. But first, Pete, an act break. Yes, that rebar will get you every time. Peggy is taken to Violet's house, and um, they'll fix her there, Pete, because this is where Pete explains to me why they couldn't go to a hospital. Uh, as they explained in dialogue, because there's a lot of powerful people that would be looking for Peggy. I didn't miss that. I just wanted to make sure that you knew Pete <laughs> and all our listeners knew. Um, so that's, of course, a great reason to fix her there. And um, at Calvin and Whitney's house, Calvin is pitching a little fit because he's realized he wants to be his own man, Pete. He feels like it's his time, baby, to be his own kind of guy. And... Uh, for a show that can border on the zany and the silly and the fun, when Whitney uh, chokes him, pushes him against the wall, and reminds him to watch his tone, uh, it's a reminder that this is a stone-cold baddie worthy of a 10-episode arc. I have to, Matt, thank Democracy for not seeing the entirety of that scene when uh, my DVR flipped off because we were outside of the hour that uh, it was set to tape, and we've got a flicker here. So thanks, Democracy. Thanks, New Hampshire. Thanks, Verizon. Pete, as one of your Twitter friends says, hashtag make Hydra great again. Um, but also great is Peggy, who Violet declares is going to be totally fine, just fine, nothing troublesome at all, totally in the non-vital area ironically what i had postulated um a scene earlier i would call by the way pete's like story baloney here you can't take a rebar through your entire body and be as okay even if it's not hitting organs or bones um i guess it is what it is but couldn't you have wounded peggy a little less seriously and still have whitney get away yeah i mean even for 1947 that that's a mortal wound <laughs> uh i guess luckily um violet probably has uh all sorts of penicillin and uh and uh oh what do you get from rusty metal what's the uh tetanus tetanus has tetanus <laughs> shots there um i'm sure that's the case um but pete with peggy and jarvis leaving um that's when that's when the real fireworks began or at least the frowny faced fireworks yeah, Violet is upset that Daniel did not tell her uh, that when he came out to California that he was running away from Peggy. And I thought it was a slightly forced moment. However, it certainly is uh, Sousa caught with his hand in the emotional cookie jar and um, clearly, clearly grist from the mill for, the, for future episodes. But this episode, not over. We return to uh, Calvin and Whitney's house where Whitney is sleeping, Calvin tiptoeing out and dialing out to call a secret council meeting. Yeah, that he's calling an emergency meeting, that he doesn't care about procedure. Um, I thought for certain Whitney was going to find him doing this, but apparently zero matter makes you sleep really soundly. 
Uh, we have Jarvis tending to Peggy here, kind of, uh, you know, touching scene here, talking about how she needs her sleep, that uh, Jarvis does too. He did disarm an atomic bomb today. Two atomic bombs, Matt, two atomic bombs. Um, and it's at this point that uh, she talks about how the pain of uh, being impaled is nothing compared to what she felt when Whitney Frost touched her. Left alone with Dr. Wilkes, uh, who, you know, rather uh, coldly talks about the place where zero matter comes from. Uh, you know, they, they settle on that's a discussion for another night. They're going to listen to some music and it starts to play the song they had heard in the club that one time. Uh, Wilkes then flashes and flickers and suddenly Jason Matt disappears. What lunkheads deserve some time in the joint? This list of baddies will tell us just that, Pete. Let's start with Whitney. Having gotten her backstory last week and seeing her wind up in Los Angeles for the first time with all the baggage that we knew about in her past kind of takes a step backwards as far as characterization this week in that it is I will just get mad now about things because I have a giant crack on the side of my face and I'm emotionally unstable. Hmm, that's an interesting take. I agree that certainly it was a lot of angry acting and it was... I agree with all of that. I wonder if perhaps it was excused away because we got such a potent pack story last week that now we can kind of get to action, action, action. Uh, now that we better understand her motivations. Um, but drives a story she certainly does. Uh, again, in this kind of oddly parallel story to Peggy's this week, where they're they're on the same trail to the same stuff the entire time. Well, I, I'll disagree a little bit in that um, it's Jason who's called to the zero matter as opposed to uh, Peggy on the other side from Whitney. But I, I just really, you know, that's the hallmark of a good villain is there's some level of sympathy for them. And you felt that with what we've gotten for Frost. And here when she's browbeating her husband, who's continually looking to get out from under the weight of her yoke, there's no sympathy whatsoever. There's, there's sympathy for him. It's it's interesting you should say that because as his power decreases, um, which is obviously intentional, and I think uh, to large degree, you know, to the to the delight of the modern audience and whatnot, um, you do kind of feel bad for the guy because it's like somebody changed the social rules without telling him, um, uh, which I know is not literally the case, but it, this change is occurring, or or her rise in powers for telling social changes. And he's just kind of not ready for that. And you do kind of feel bad for him because he hangs with bad guys. Have we seen him do something that's out and out villainous? Not that I recall. Well, I mean, there's the discussion of, you know, his many mistresses and messes that they have to clean up. But, you know, for him to be so browbeaten by her, 
you know, not bringing the council in, uh, not wanting to ask for another favor. I found it a little less than believable from him that, oh, you know, getting into uh, arrangements with reputed mobsters was too much for him when he rolls with this council of nine. <laughs> um, maybe he just has a refined sense of bad guys and, and the board of directors of bad guys are okay, but the street level thugs aren't for him. What is this daredevil? <laughs> Pete, who else is on the list? Oh, oh baddies. Uh, an oldie, but a goodie, Matt. Hugh Jones, CEO, Roxanne. Wonderful, wonderful addition. I mentioned before the great comedy coming out of him. It's an actor, uh, or rather he is an actor with such gravitas and uh, really just a fun, a fun scene with him. And I hope there's more of him since presumably there's going to be more council meetings. To have him have appeared earlier in the season and to establish that, okay, the guy from season one who, you know, uh, pretty much harassed Peggy um, is on this council. Check. Great. To bring him back and to bro- provide him with these comedic opportunities with the memory inhibitor and, you know, never forgetting a caboose like he does and, and leaving the room and, oh, it's agent and going back in really really well done so props to writer Lindsay allen yeah definitely uh, a great writer producing a fun episode classified top secret holy mackerel time to take a gander with the g-men don't want you to know pete where should we start uh, how about with Joseph Manfredi, Matt? Is this a long-running uh, association here, or is this something we will only see in this episode? Again, that that beatdown just felt so out of place in the tone of the rest of this series. I could see, all right, we're going to have this guy show he's a tough guy, but was a really unnecessary narrative flourish uh between the uh the narrative flourish that was there uh, along with the casting of ken marino who uh, certainly warrants more than one scene plus a little just to make sure it was ken marino look on imdb pete definitely uh, a safe bet that we will see more of uh more of this character mr Manfredi, in the future well given that uh, Chadwick chafes at having to keep going back to the council. Perhaps there will be given, uh, <clears throat> Whitney's, uh, past with, uh, Joseph Manfredi here, some way to organically bring that along. Matt, perhaps the greatest mystery of the hour. Where is Wilkes? Certainly a great hook, particularly since we were given uh, a way out of his predicament. If only we can get some more zero matter, dot, 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 techity, tech, tech, then he can come back and be corporeal and, uh, you know, hugs and kisses and all that. Uh, and then suddenly he's gone. Pete, where is he? I have just been handed a, uh, a special communique saying that he is going to appear, the character is, 
uh, on next week's Supergirl as a victim of the Phantom Zone, DC and Marvel, The Great Conjunction. That's okay. my prediction. I, I got nothing past that. <laughs> well, Pete, speaking of the future, let's also just talk some math here. How many episodes of Agent Carter are left? Five. Five. This is being recorded because we record the night that episodes air. Why wouldn't you? Why would you make I, people wait? My goodness. Like, th- that you could wait longer? Why would you disrespect your audience? Pete, I know that just by simple math here, you said that there's five episodes left. That means that between tonight, February 9th, and March 8th, which is when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is returning, there are five weeks. Let's count them. February 16th, February 23rd, March 1st. That's five, right? It is. No, it's not, Pete. It's three. So how do you get five episodes in three weeks? I failed algebra. At least one marking period of it. (laughs) or or maybe x marking periods um so we have a couple options here one is the shield premiere date gets pushed back um which would be kind of weird um because i think they announced that return date um after the agent carter start date was changed yeah because of the state of the union uh the state of the union pete is strong um i don't know man judging that we got two uh non-establishment candidates women winning in new hampshire tonight i don't know if it is um regardless uh i mean just a quick google search shows they're still talking about the uh the march 8th date so pete do we have as the final two weeks of agent carter do we have the possibility of back-to-back two-hour episodes i I guess I've been told to expect a two hour season two finale, which based on the ratings, Matt will likely be a series finale. Well, regardless, it's something to keep an ear out for on, uh, on the news sites, the social media, etc. cetera. And uh, if you do find out before we find out, let us know. Long distance. We want you to flap your lips, write us a telegram, or even send us uh, the Twitter. And Pete, someone has done just that. Yes, Robert T. Frost writes into the Fantastic Geek Facebook page, and he says, Greetings, Matt and Peter, and well met in the new year. I'd like to share a couple of thoughts on the on the new season of Agent Carter so far. First, I truly enjoyed this episode, Smoke and Mirrors, as the show seems to be hitting its stride and is the Agent Carter I was hoping for. The intro double feature felt a bit lackluster to me. I know that there was a lot of foundation building and a lot of exposition, and that's okay, but there was a little something missing for me, and I can't quite put my finger on it. Sophomore show blues. Secondly, I have been, uh, while I have been enjoying the comedic interaction that the writers have given Mr. Jarvis this year, I worry that it is a bit too much. Jarvis teetered on the edge of being a buffoon this episode, and I am truly hoping that the show will allow him to be a bit more substantial uh, assistant to Peggy. Uh, I want Jarvis to the confident and competent butler. I think he's missing a word there. Uh, to be or to return to being, uh, not wearing the red nose and floppy shoes. And thirdly, 
I'm wondering if we got a clue to who or may not become Peggy's husband. In Captain America, the Winter Soldier, the film clip being shown at the Smithsonian has Peggy Carter saying that Steve Rogers continued to influence her life even after he was gone. I rewatched a video clip. The man who was to become her future husband was in the unit that Captain Rogers rescued from behind the Hydra blockade. That eliminates Dr. Wilkes as he was in the Navy. I think that this will also eliminate Daniel Sousa. When Sousa is interrogating Hunt, he is asked if he got his injury in combat, and Sousa answers Bastogne. The Battle of the Bulge was a significant event in World War II, and seemingly far from the events of Captain America during the war. I can't imagine that if the Hydra base that the 107th is rescued from is in or around the Boston, that it would uh, not have been at least mentioned in the film. Thoughts? Uh, first, thank you, Robert, for that uh, comprehensive message. I'll say this about Daniel Sousa. He can't be the husband of Peggy Carter because he is a time traveler and clearly one of the cops in the Battle of New York in the Avengers. Matt, your thoughts? <laughs> um, I have not been concerned about Jarvis's uh, comedic overtones thus far, but I think that Robert brings up a good point that we could either do five more episodes of, uh, you know, kind of, Hugh Grant ask, oh, 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 oh my, oh my, or we could go, wow, Jarvis just, you know, successfully uh, de-weaponized two nuclear bombs. Let's have him be a bit more confident here. Confident here. Let's have him start to turn into the the Jarvis that we that we know, you know, uh, you know, for which the the AI system is named. Uh, so let's, let's have him grow as a character. I think that's a great instinct there. Um, as for Peggy's future, Pete, all I will say is this it is a future as of yet unwritten and, uh, only continued viewing and, uh, perhaps a, a, a prayer to the Netflix gods can, can help answer that asterisk. I think we're going to have, uh, an end to her story in a couple of months in cinemas. Pete, that of course will be answered when we see the cavalcade of Marvel stars uh, when that bunch returns. But Pete, speaking of the stars, you're practically a person of glitterati fame. How can people be in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-7000. -E 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 followers. Can't be wrong. While I am personally on the Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the radio program by being in touch with Fantastic Geek. That's fantastic with a PH in plenty of ways. Send an electronic letter to us on the Gmail, post a note on the dot com, or tweet us your telegraphs on the Twitter. Don't forget, Fantastic Geek is the way to go. And Pete, there's one more place to go. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek, all one word there. The way it works, Matt, is there's a guy in the future who's going to be looking for dames, and he made this other type of book, which is not, in fact, a book at all. So you like 
things and people, and then uh, they overshare with you through these internet tubes. By the way, speaking of ways to be in touch, uh, a new way, or at least a way that we have reactivated, we talked about the Telegram. You can also reach out to Fantastic Geek on the Instagram, uh, where uh, we've, we've dusted that off, been adding some stuff from New York Comic Con, uh, particularly have some uh, stuff from the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. panel, uh, Star Wars Rebels, uh, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, all good stuff there. So uh, head on over there. And uh, I guess with that, Pete, I'll say goodbye, good night, good luck to one and all. And Pete, with what wacky words will you close tonight? You arrogant punk up.